This is the best damn podcast in the land, and tonight we have in a very, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. The women's basketball players that we have on the show tonight have Hall of Fame after Hall of Fame after scoring champion. After, I can't even call them all out, but introducing tonight's starters from... Louisville, the good old Cardinal land. Jenny Knight. Give us something, Johnny. What Jenny Knight got? So Jenny Knight played at Kenosha St. Joe's for four years before being a three-year starter at the University of Louisville, following that with an 11-year successful head coaching career at UW Parkside. And I'll get more specific with that later. Sounds good. Welcome, Jenny Knight. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, Evansville, the lady in the middle, Jamie Gray. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks for coming. Johnny, what we got from Jamie Gray? Jamie Gray is a 2000 graduate from Kenosha Bradford, is a member of the KOSD Hall of Fame. She is in the top 10 all-time scoring list in the city of Kenosha. Um, and she was, oh man, Jamie's going to kill me for this. You were at least all conference a couple times, correct, Jamie? At Evansville? Yeah. Thank wow. you. Sorry for not getting the specifics on that. I know I'm going to hear from <laughs> you on that one. Huh. Don't worry. He'll lose his job. <laughs> <laughs> Helen, from one of the best schools in the country, UW-Green Bay. It doesn't get any better than that. I'm just going to throw that out there early. UW-Green Bay. Chandra Johnson, ex-WNBA. John, what do you got with her? Chandra Johnson is a member of the Eau Claire North Hall of Fame in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Was the first UW-Green Bay women's basketball player to appear in the WNBA. Boom. Big time. Chandra Johnson, welcome. Welcome. Coming in, Youngstown State, one of the greats, Liz. Whoa, let me get the right name. Liz Gresh. I didn't want to throw your, your, your other last name out there because I'm trying to get in good with Coach Gresh. I want to get a job one day. So, what do we got for Liz, John? So, Liz is a member. She's a Class of 2007 member of the Youngstown State Hall of Fame. She was the Youngstown State Female Athlete of the Year in 1997, a three-time All-Conference player, and the Conference Player of the Year in 96-97. Wow. Welcome aboard, Liz. Thank you. Coming in, Marquette University, Pitch Black Dark, Katie Young. What we got with Katie? So before having a productive career at Marquette University, Katie Young was a graduate from Bradford High School. She earned All-State honors two-time All-SEC Conference, and her teams won two regional titles. Wow. Shout-out to Katie Young. Welcome aboard. And our last starter for tonight coming in, I can't believe I'm saying UWM Panthers, Nicole Drummond. What we got with Nicole? So, Nicole Drummond went to that high school on the south side of Kenosha, Kenosha Tremper. Uh, Four-time first-team all-conference member. 
Um, she's one of only three players in Tremper history to be in the 1,000-point club, with her being the first. In college, she was on the all-newcomer team of the Horizon League in 2002-2003, and she was first-team all-conference in 04-05 and 05-06. Excellent. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So that's our starters. A lot of Division One talent on this, on this feed. Now, for the bench players, my man, head coach, Kenosha Bradford, Greg Leach, shout-out to the bench. Assistant coach, Kenosha Bradford, Mike Holden. Assistant coach, new assistant coach, Westosha Girls Varsity Basketball, Johnny Ack, welcome. And an assistant coach at St. Norbert's College. A lot of championships up that way. Coach Corey Shoshoshi. So, welcome everybody. You can be more podcast. Um, let's get into the questions right away that the bench players have for the starters. Uh, Michael, we'll start off with you. We'll go with uh, you next, Corey, John, and then Greg will close it out with that. With you bringing the last question. Mike, what do you got? So my question would be for Katie Young. Um, Katie, my question to you is what is the most important game you played and why? The most important game I've ever played, like ever? Yes, ever. Um, I would say it resounded a lot around AAU because, as you guys know, as high school coaches, that AAU has become uh, just kind of a, a launch point for scholarships and things of that nature. So um, we played a game actually against a, a girl that was being recruited by UConn and all the coaches were there. Um, and that was down in at a Boo Williams tournament down in Florida, and that was probably the most important game I've ever had in my life. And I mean, the rest was history after 36 points, and you know, kind of killed it that game. But that was probably the most important game of my life, showing people that I could play against uh, people that are a little bit more, I guess, highly touted, but rankings are just matters of opinion at that point. Excellent, thank you. Corey, who do you got a question for? This one's for Liz. So, Liz, I was going to ask you who your favorite assistant coach was for St. Norbert College. However, I know that answer already. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, as a player and coach, you've been highly successful. You know, you've carried over from, what did you carry over from your playing days to your coaching career, both as a college coach and as a highly successful AU and youth coach? Um, probably the biggest thing I carried over was just the uh, confidence factor that you have to instill in young girls, especially at a young age. Um, if you can get them to be confident in themselves, then um, you would be surprised what they can actually do. So if you instill that at an early age, then um, I think that's the biggest thing that you could, as a coach, that's the biggest thing that you can give to them. John, who you got a question for? Sorry to do this on air. Is this clarification right here? Am I still doing trivia stuff like normal? You want me to ask a question? Just a question. All right, question. Jamie Haynes, who were your big influences growing up, starting your basketball career, and what got you kind of kick-started into loving the game? Huh. I would probably say my dad. I mean, 
he was one when we were little just always playing outside with us in the backyard and you know it wasn't just basketball for me I played a lot of sports I played soccer I played volleyball a lot of competitive volleyball competitive soccer so I would say um really my dad growing up getting me involved with AAU back when I was young it was we had to drive to Menominee four and a half hours away to go to the tournaments you know we did that every single weekend. So him pushing me to make sure that I was getting exposed and, um, you know, playing with the right coaches, the right teams. So absolutely him. Greg, who do you got a question for? Looks like first time on a podcast. <laughs> you know what? I didn't think it was going to happen this time because I literally have to touch the screen, but I did it again. The screen continues. Anyway, Jenny, I researched your career a little bit, didn't find anything that I didn't really know. I probably forgot a few things. Um, but I came away truly amazed because <clears throat> you were an assistant for one year at St. Joe's and then one year at Parkside. And you had such unprecedented success in 10 plus years. What did you experience or learn playing for your father? as a player at Louisville or an assistant at UW Parkside for that one season that enabled you to accomplish so much? Um, I think really a lot of what I learned, you know, was from early on in my kind of playing career. Um, like you mentioned, you know, a lot came from my father, um, who I played for in high school. And Whoa. Hey Jenny, you put your phone, you put your uh, iPad on mute. So. Sorry, I did the same. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I pressed on mute. Sorry about that. Um, I would say a lot of. Uh, I'm just following suit, Greg. Um, I learned that from you. Um, I would say a lot. You know, kind of like you know, similar things. You know, Jamie said. You know, a lot comes from you know what I learned early on, and uh, a lot came from uh, what I've learned from my father, uh, whether it be from what he's taught me as a player, um, but also just, you know, watching him coach my siblings or uh, high school early on, you know, as I was, you know, a young middle schooler or grade schooler. Um, I would say there's so many different things that, that I've learned from all the different coaches that I've been around. Uh, but I think the, the few things that kind of are common amongst a lot of the people that I look up to and have learned so much in the coaching ranks is, you know, discipline, uh, toughness, and, and work ethic. Um, and I use those things as an athlete, but uh, those helped me tr tremendously, you know, as a coach and, and helped me be successful in, in teaching young student athletes and, and being able to give them an opportunity to, you know, achieve, you know, their goals. Thanks for that. Um, Chandra, what was, it, what was it like playing in the WNBA? What's one of your most memorable moments playing in the WNBA? experience is pretty surreal um i was fortunate enough to to actually go to a really strong team um la sparks were at that point coached by michael cooper one of the la greats so i got to learn so much more about the game from one of the greatest best nba basketball players so just having that experience um having coach cooper as a coach and then on top of it we made it to the finals so we were we were one of the top teams in the league 
So having, not only did I get to experience playing in the WNBA, but actually my first year as a rookie going into the finals. We, got, we played against the Detroit Shock, which if you guys, Bill Lambeer was the coach for the Detroit Shock. Cooper and Bill Lambeer didn't always see eye to eye, if you know about the Detroit Bad <laughs> Boys in the past that the, the Lakers have with the Pistons. Um, so that was kind of the whole experience was cool of the finals. Uh, we did end up losing uh, two. He was not happy at all, but we did end up losing in, in game five. But just that experience of not only being in the NBA, but getting to see a final getting to play in a finals, getting to experience that was pretty cool. Wow, that's special. Um, all right, so we're going to go in reverse order that we just checked in. So, Chandra, we're going to start with you first, and we want to hear from from all of uh, all, all of the players. Um, but before we get to that, I had one other question uh, for Nicole, and then I had one question for for um, Crystal Ellis, but I'll just ask Nicole because Crystal is not on right now. Nicole, what was one of the most memorable games you played in college and what school was it against? Um, I would have to say it's a, it's a toss-up because I think Sorry, Chandra, but every game we played against Green Bay for me was pretty memorable because you have that, you know, that in-state rivalry. Um, our senior year, we ended up beating them twice. Um, so that was pretty memorable for me. Yes, we did, Brandon. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but then also to go on I top of that, on, though, yeah, Chandra wasn't on the team anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but... Um, I would say on top of that, though, too, is the championship game to get us into the NCAA tournament. I just remember, you know, the the nerves that we all had going into the game and then just the fight that we had going into the game, too, and throughout the game and it being on our home court and every possession counted and you couldn't take a rest for one second. And, you know, when that, that final buzzer finally goes off and you win the game and you can finally relax and just celebrate and, you know, so. Wow. John. Can I add a, just a, you know, Nicole mentioned the NCAA tournament. Can I just have a quick question for uh, for Liz really quick? Um, she helped lead Youngstown State to their first ever NCAA tournament appearance. So, uh, Liz, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that, I mean, it seems like so long ago, I can't even remember it. I mean, geez. But um, yeah, it was a pretty amazing experience um, being the first time that, you know, the school has ever been to the NCAA tournament. We got lucky enough to play Penn State, which was Penn State was the second ranked team in the country wow. and got to play them on their home court. So it was a pretty cool experience. Wow. Good question. All right. So let's dive right in. Um, we'll start with uh, Nicole and then... We'll go with um, Chandra and, and follow it going backwards. So, Nicole, for those of you guys who are just checking in, we have a lot of Hall of Famer, uh, ex-Division One basketball players, uh, some ex-college coaches, uh, so on and so forth. So, Nicole, what is the it factor 
And how do you know if a player has that it factor? Um, I feel like you can tell if a player has that it factor the moment they step on the floor. They just have that, you know, that swagger. They have that confidence, and you can see that confidence in them. You can, you know, see that they're locked in. You can see that, you know, they're out there to just put it all out there on the floor and just ready to go at it. Um, and I mean, I think that's the it factor, too, is just being able to see that and, you know, that person to having that confidence, knowing that no matter what, you know, somebody, somebody's not just going to be able to, you know, take over them in a game or in practice or wherever, you know. Excellent. Chandra, the it factor, what is the it factor? How do you know uh, if a player has it? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that Nicole said I think when you see a player there if you, you know who's the leaders on the court you know who's going to be vocal who's communicating on the court that adds that it factor they are they're the head of the team they're leading that they're leading their team on the court um and they have a desire to get better they, they're never settled for where they always know that there's more to learn about the game and they always want to get better they're working when no one's looking at all times um I think that's that's huge too but um, you know, communication and being that leader on the court would be a, important as well. Excellent. Katie Young, the it factor. How do you know? How do you know when a player has that? I think it factor resounds around what we, I mean, we, we kind of pick apart LeBron and, you know, everybody's probably tuned into the last dance and things of that nature. And it factor is just a killer instinct to me. Is intangibles. It's not something you draw up X's and O's, and it's nothing to do with that. It factors um, something that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, right? Because I mean, anybody can get a bucket or a rebound or an assist, but it is a play at the end, a defensive stop, you know, a dive on the floor, a block, um, taking control. Um, that's what it factor is to me. Where stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but you remember it in the game. That's Layla. Layali, yeah. Hey, girl. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Liz, if factor. You coach at the college level. What's the if factor and how do you know? You're going out and recruiting these kids. How do you know they have that if factor, Liz? Well, I think all of the what Chandra and what Nicole said is um, spot on. They have a swagger to them. You could just tell right from the get-go. Um, but, you know, whether they... They want to be there. Um, they motivate themselves, so you don't have to motivate them as a coach. Um, and I coach AU now, and um, they will motivate themselves. You don't have to get them motivated. Um, and they also want others to succeed. Mm. They don't want the success of themselves. They want the team to succeed. So um, they look at it as a bigger picture. Excellent. Thank you. Jamie. What's that if factor? Whoa, looks like Jamie's gonna be sponsoring tonight's show. I think it's just that innate ability to compete and be aggressive, you know, something that's just within, you can see that on the floor. That desire, that drive, you know, you can always teach fundamentals, you can always get stronger, but those other qualities I just talked about are hard to 
possess, and kids that have that it factor possess those qualities, just that desire to drive. Thank you. Uh, Jenny, <clears throat> it factor, you head coach, uh, Division two level, one of the toughest conferences in the country. How do you know when a kid has that it factor? Well, I'd say, you know, just the competitive edge. You know, a kid who is willing to just do anything, you know, to, to be successful and, and to help their team win. Um, and like Katie said, just, you know, doing a lot of the little things. I mean, I'm big on, you know, toughness. So I would say, you know, a kid who will just grind and do whatever it takes. He'll run through a wall, um, you know, whatever it takes to, to win, you know, and have that competitive edge. And, you know, someone I want to go to war with, you know, and they have that competitive edge and you know that, They've got that it factor. They're going to do what it takes, and they're going to help you be successful. Thank you. Any of the bench players, do you, you need to chime in on that it factor? Coach Corey, you, you get out and watch a lot of games and recruit a lot of kids. What's that it factor? I, I agree with everything all the, all the women said, and I think mine is always seeing who – I always watch how teammates respond to the kid I'm there to watch. Um how if they are the leader if if everybody's looking to them i know when they get to the college level it's going to be the same thing they're vocal they're engaged and then i like seeing that that it factor what do you do in times of adversity a lot of kids will hang their head they'll kind of go away but people that have the it factor never go away they're always fighting and that competitive spirit coach knight just said um it, it, it's it's so hard to find but that is the it factor, along with everything these uh, ladies have said. You have to compete all the time, no matter where the chips are stacked. Excellent. Thank you for that, Coach. Um, John, can you hit us with a trivia question? Give a trivia question to the bench about one of these players. And if they if they get it wrong, they got to pay $100 tonight for a sponsorship. All right. Let's see here. I got a few of them. Um, let's go with uh, Chandra Johnson. So as mentioned before, she's the first UW Green Bay women's basketball player to play in the WNBA. Um, she was with the 2003 LA Sparks. Name two of her teammates. This is for the bench players only, though, ladies. Hall of Famers, you guys don't have to say nothing. For the bench players. Corey, you're muted. Lisa Leslie's one. Uh, number two... Uh, number two would be, uh, I'm going to give you a college hint here, UNC. Not Marion Jones, was it? No, Nikki Teasley. Nikki Teasley. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember the one guard that would could really shoot it, too. All right. Excellent. I'm not giving $100 because I didn't get my check from you yet, though, Brandon. All right, that's fine. And, that's fine. And Chandra, expound upon any other teammates. I mean, I, I wrote down a few names. So I wrote down Lisa Leslie. Yeah. Nikki Teasley, Tamika Dixon. Any others you want to mention? A, we had a girl from Africa, Moadi Mabika, who was a stud. Um, and Nikki Teasley, a couple of rookies, and um, Delisha Milton Jones. Uh, Delisha Milton's actually a assistant coach. She was at Syracuse. I think she still at Syracuse, but she was a she's a college coach now. Excellent. Thanks for that. $100 from the bench. Sweet. All right. Um, 
What is the one thing you always did after a good performance? So maybe you got because you guys are Hall of Famers and thousand point scores. Us bench players, we know nothing about that life. So what is the one thing you did after a good performance? Uh, we're gonna go uh, in reverse order again. So Jenny, we're gonna start with you. What's one thing you did after a good performance? Well, I would say as a player and as a coach, I definitely would self-reflect. Um, I never was a big, you know, celebrator. Uh, that was kind of one of my downfalls, especially as a coach. I felt like I should have maybe tried to enjoy it a little bit more. But um, either way, I would just say self-reflect. You know, so even as a player, um, looking at what I did well, what I could have done better, um, you know, and, and same thing, you know, as a coach. I definitely would say I probably did it more as a coach than even as a player just because I was older, much more mature, um, you know, so like I really – you know, sit back and think about things opposed to when you're younger, you kind of get over it a little bit quicker. Um, but, I, but either way, definitely self-reflect. Even, even in my high school days, it was something I, I always did, watch a lot of film, um, see what I could have done better, how I could have helped our team, you know, achieve things, you know, even, even better, even after a win. Um, so I, I would definitely go with self-reflect. Excellent. So I got one of my uh, college teammates, Josh Lawrence, checking in and I could tell you what he did after a win or a good performance, but that's not going to be good for the podcast. So moving on, Liz, Gresh, what did you do after a good performance? Um, I agree with her. You you got to analyze what, what you did well and what you could have done better. I think that you don't, um, as a coach, you don't really focus on that success as much. Um, you kind of move on. Um, as a player, I think you enjoy it a little bit more, um, especially if it's a stellar performance or if it was a big game. I think that you really enjoy it. Um, you probably are going to be in the uh, training room icing for a long period of time after while you're enjoying <laughs> it. Um, I think you, you definitely reflect and you go back and you look and to see what you did well and what you could have done better. Excellent. Excellent, thank you. Katie Young, I know it had to be different at Marquette. What did you do after a good performance? You're one of, the, I think, the youngest player online. So what did you do after a good performance? I'm ashamed to say now. They're like, oh. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're just older, that's all. <laughs> uh, it was so neat. I enjoyed some extracurricular activities with my teammates and, you know, we we celebrated um, not only the win, but when you have a good game, you feel good. So um, we celebrated a little differently. Um, but you you take that day to celebrate, and then, you know, and right after that is the next game. So I agree with them as far as the preparation pinpoint, but after a good one, um, it'd be a good night. Is that Water that. Street that's in Milwaukee? I'm asking for a friend. That, no, I don't know what you think about that. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I'm not familiar. Okay. <laughs> Jamie, big game, great performance down in Evansville. What did you do after a good performance? I think same thing as these ladies, a lot of game film. Um, and I think my biggest thing when I'd have a really good game is trying to figure out, like, how did I get there mentally and how can I get back there the next game? Um, whether it be a road game or a home game, you know, if I'd have a really good game, just trying to figure out, where was I mentally and why was I there and how can I stay there and get back there? Sometimes that was a struggle for me, that mental part. <laughs> wow. So I think those are the two biggest things, game film and mentally. 
Man. to get there. I see why I'm not a Hall of Famer. Damn, I was, after a good performance, I was in the bar with Chandra and, and other, oops, sorry, Chandra. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, Chandra, after a good performance, what did you do? Give us something in, in UW-Green Bay days and WNBA days. I, I got to be different. They were different. I think my routine at Green Bay was a little different only because my parents were at every game. So with being out in L.A., my parents weren't at every game. Um, so we kind of had the routine. My parents had to drive three hours. They had to drive three hours to my game, come to my games, drive three hours right home because they had to work the next day. So it would always be dinner out with my parents even after. And we would talk about, you know, my dad, big basketball guy, would talk about the game, and we just kind of unpack what happened. And if I had a good performance, we'd talk about that. And then I went and found my teammates wherever they may be for the rest of the evening to celebrate the win. So... <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Interesting. Dang. So that's why I'm not a Hall of Famer or a thousand point scorer. I was, I was doing the wrong things after the game. I should have been reflecting, uh, watching film or something. Uh, Nicole Drummond, after you had a good performance, not against UWGB, if you had a good performance, what did you do? Well, first of all, I just want to say what happens on Water Street stays on Water Street. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you have to take time to celebrate. You have to celebrate the wins um, and the successes. But our coach at UWM, Sandy Botham, always told us, like, two-second rule. You have two seconds to celebrate. You have two seconds to dwell on something. Then you got to move on and think about the next game or, you know, the next thing that you're going to do. So, I mean, you celebrate, and then you work on getting better. You think about, you know, the things that you did well and think about things that you can improve on for the next game so you can keep getting better. So I, I'm kind of on the same page with everybody else, self, self-reflection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, last question for this first segment, possibly. We may get another trivia question in. Um, what has changed about the game since you last played? And, Nicole, we're going to start with you and, and, and go back around. What has changed about the game since you last played? What year um, did you graduate, Nicole? I'm not telling you. Okay. <laughs> no, 2006. Um, I think the way that players train for the game is different. Um, <sighs> I know for me, at least, like, in order to get better, I'm in the gym playing pickup games or shooting by myself. But nowadays, you have so many other options. Like, you have... Um, you know, like trainers, you have, um, you know, there's plenty of camps, you know, that people can go to. I mean, those are available too back in my day. Um, but I think just the way that people approach training and preparation for the game has changed. Excellent. Uh, Liz, what's different? How's the game changed since you played? Um, well, I think the physicality of the game has changed quite a bit since I played way back when. Um, the girls look bigger, more athletic, more physical. Um, I think the AU aspect of the game has changed quite a bit on the women's side. Uh, when I played, there was only three AU teams in Ohio, and it was the best of the best that played. Um, now you anybody can play AU. So kind of watered down. Um, I think it's lost its interest a little bit because of that. So, 
Um, yeah, those are some of the changes. And I think the three-point line was a little closer when I played. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jamie. I was going to say quarters and halves, really. Right? <laughs> the quarters now? Quarters that used to be halves? Um, yeah, I would say um, kind of like what was just mentioned, I feel like when I played basketball when I was young, I didn't even start playing until like fifth, sixth grade. Nobody did. Now you have kids playing when they're, you know, in kindergarten, first grade. They're... There wasn't a lot of AAU. Like I said, I had to drive four and a half hours to Menominee because there wasn't a lot of opportunity down here. There might have been a team in Milwaukee, but not much opportunity. Now it seems like, you know, there's the AAU teams everywhere. So, um, but like she said, maybe it's watered it down a little bit. But um, I guess more opportunity for people who who can't drive four and a half hours to get on an AAU team and get noticed. So I guess that's a good thing, too. So I guess those are the main things I've noticed. Okay. Katie, uh, you're the most recent graduate. What What's changed since you last played? Um, I, I, I agree with the, the older statements uh, as far as about um, the AU circuit. I think it's just ridiculous how young kids are being ranked, right? I started, I mean, ranks were you sixth grade, seventh grade, you start getting ranked. Now kids are, I mean, class of I mean, they're ranking your daughter already, and she doesn't, you know what I mean? Who knows if she'll be playing by the time she's a senior, so I think that's quite ridiculous. And I also think that um, the game's become more highlighty, right? What's the highlight reel of behind-the-back passes and, you know, um, dribbling through cones and things of that nature where, I mean, that's cool, but if you get to a real game, you're not dribbling past a cone and or doing a pump fake in front of a stick they're actual athletes and players so the highlight realm of it um since i graduated within the last five years from college and the biggest thing about um high school is the rankings or i mean you're getting ranked in fourth fifth grade which <laughs> to me i think is unfair yeah uh challenger said I was kind of taking a couple notes as I was thinking in my head um I think so I graduated a while ago now uh so I was done in 03 in college we I I think Facebook was just starting <laughs> I think I think we were just and, and and I don't think there was an Instagram and so the social media side of the game is completely different and that's where some of that highlight stuff people put out you know it's all for clicks and likes so people are putting up highlight reels. We didn't have those when I was in high school. You actually had to come see me play. You couldn't. You couldn't go on Instagram and, and see my my moves or whatever. It, it just didn't exist. Um, I agree with the AU comments that were made. Um, I think the game's a little faster. I think because of the social media aspect, the whole recruiting game has changed. Um, I think that recruiting. I mean, colleges were calling our landline, and I would come home from practice, and it'd be ten. Had voicemails on the landline, like my, the voicemail be blinking, and I spent the <laughs> night calling back college coaches. And now the college coaches in text, they have more access to player players, uh, way easier access to players than they did when I was playing. Um, they had to wait for my phone call back. So I think that's a big difference. 
Um, and I think that we're, we, we're starting to see a lot. I work in a high school, and the, the whole con- the conversation about, I just don't see as many three-sport athletes as I saw when I was in high school. I think sports specialization is a whole, it's a thing, it's a whole conversation. I think there's trainers out there that believe in it and are pushing kids towards only one sport. Um, I think that doesn't transcend well for basketball players. I think three-sport athletes are where it's at for basketball players to stay in shape. Um, And I just see that, I've seen that change too, where um, girls think like, to be good, they gotta play one sport. And I, I can't, I, I don't like that thinking, and I don't think that thinking was as prevalent when I was in high school. Mm. Uh, Jenny. Yeah, everybody's making, you know, such great points. I mean, the first thing that I initially thought of, um, and I'm obviously one of the older, um, you know, people on the panel here, but uh, was the AAU thing. You know, when I was in high school, like Jamie said, there was only one AAU program in Wisconsin. You had to drive all the way up north, and I was one of those like probably some of us older ones, like one of those three sport athletes. So I didn't do that. You know, I didn't, I didn't go five hours up North to, to play basketball because I was still working on, you know, track and tennis and, you know, some of the other sports I was doing. So um, that is, you know, definitely a lot more opportunities for, for ladies or girls specifically, um, which is great, you know, definitely great. But um, I, I definitely also think with that is a lot more pressure on kids now. Um, you know, like Chandra just said, like three sport athlete, you can you can be a great basketball player, a great volleyball player, and still play, you know, three sports. You can go play college and, and play three sports in high school. Um, so all the pressure that, that is put on young athletes at such a young age is, is kind of crazy to me. Um, and and I think, you know, kids get worn down and, and you can see that, you know, on, on both the men's and women's side of athletics. So I just think those two things, I mean, you could talk about the moving the three-point line, this, that, and the other, but to me, that's neither here nor there. It's really the opportunities that young ladies are given at a much earlier age, which can be such a good thing, um, but also the pressures, you know, that come along with that, uh, starting so early and, and, and wearing kids down. I, I think that that's, that's a lot, you know, on, on student athletes or, or young athletes. Excellent. Thank you. Did we miss anybody? Coaches, the bench players, do you guys want to add something to that? How has the game changed since you guys last played? John, go ahead. I just love the mention of the um, the multi-sport athlete aspect of everything. I'm kind of going through my notes here, and, you know, Jenny mentioned she did tennis and track. Uh, Chandra was on a state runner-up softball team in high school. Jamie talked about playing soccer, volleyball. You know, she played softball, too. Um... Nicole played volleyball in high school. I mean, almost everybody on this panel night was a multi-sport athlete. Liz, you can probably speak for yourself on what else you did in high school. Katie, it, I'm ashamed to say I don't remember, even though I went to high school with you. But, you know, just I think the idea is getting thrown out, like what Jenny was saying about pressure. You know, the college, I mean, everybody's trying to be forced to be specialized. But being a multi-sport athlete is so beneficial. You know, while you're resting your body from certain movements during a different season, you're also training your body for different movements in that other sport, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Coaches, anybody else, bench players, want to add something? Greg, go ahead. Corey, I'm going to show my age again. Um, but when I started coaching and when I played, there was no three point line. Oh. So it was, it was a lot slower of a game. Um, there weren't 
a lot of people that ran, I think Pius did it uh, for a year or two in the late 80s. And if you take a look, I don't know that anybody, uh, German Tom did it for a while and we're successful at it. There's a, a lot more that goes into it. There's got to be a lot more substance to everything else that you're doing if you're going to make a, a running game work. Uh, kids like to play fast. They, they, they kind of play the game today like they play the video games. Um, <clears throat> and there's a, a lack of understanding sometimes when it comes to a basketball IQ, lack of understanding how five guys play together to win. And, and sometimes you have to slow it down. Sometimes it's not glamorous. Um, and it maybe sometimes for them it's not fun, but it, 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 it wins basketball games. But I think that's a, uh, a big difference. You look at a guy, Paul Westhead, who coached at with, with the Lakers for three years, with the Bulls for a year. When he coached at George Mason. Um, Loyola Marymount. Yeah, I was going to get to that, John. You hold up. <laughs> and a couple of other schools. The only place that it really worked was at Loyola Marymount because he had Gathers and he had Kimball. Mm. Um, so it's a difficult style to play. I know all the kids want to do it, but it's a difficult style to play and be successful, I think. You can't do it. You can't do it for thirty-six minutes on the high school level. Uh, Corey and then Michael. And, and I will go back to what Liz said about physicality. I, I think the size, strength, and speed of athletes today, with weightlifting earlier at an earlier age, strength trainers, all these different things, has completely changed the game, uh, at, both for the men's and women's game. Um, at the college level, it's getting harder and harder at the Division three level to even find big post players that can move and run and do all those things because there's such a premium at the next level. So I just think that physicality, the ability to play above the rim and, and the strength and speed of the game has definitely changed over the years. Michael. Yep, there we go. Michael will be sponsoring tonight's show as well just to play uh the other side of the fence for our starters we talk about multi-sport athletes we talk about kids starting at an early age right um nba players now if we look at professional athletes they are actually against that in talking about their needing rest days their bodies have been beat up from such a young age so how do you all how would you all comment to that talking about we it sounds like we're advocating for multi-sport athletes. We're all advocating for kids getting in the game younger. We're advocating for trainers. But you hear professional athletes saying, my body needs to rest. So what would, what would you all say to that? And I'm not, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with either statement. I just want to know how you all feel about that. Anybody? I think your body does, I think your body does need to rest. Um, there's no doubt. But the change of, you know, seasons – um, you know, so for me, for instance, I played basketball, track, and uh, tennis. So tennis physically is different than basketball. You know, track is different physically. Um, you know, all of them work your body differently, and, and you can rest, um, you know, certain muscles and things like that, uh, depending on what sport you're playing and things like that. Uh, regardless, you're right. You need rest. You need, you know, a couple weeks off before you jump to another sport and, and those kind of things. Um, I think when you have these sports-specific kids who are just focusing on just basketball, um, they just get burnt out. You know, you can see them mentally and physically just getting completely burnt out. And 
and I think physically is a big part of it, but mentally too, you know, um, not to mention, you know, all the pressure, like we talked about that these kids have at such a, at, at such a young age, you got these parents who are, you know, crazy in their kids ears and, and putting all this pressure on them. Um, so, you know, rest is important. There's, there's no doubt. Um, but I do think being a multi-sport athlete, you know, does allow, you know, for more rest opposed to just, you know, focusing on, on one sp sport specifically and really overtraining, you know, those specific, that specific sport and those specific muscles, you know, year round. Excellent. We're going to close this first segment out. Uh, great all around answers from all these Hall of Famers. Those of you guys that are just listening in on our Facebook Live, we got multiple Hall of Famers, multiple Division I uh, women's basketball players, 1,000-point uh, scores, ex-WNBA, by far the most accomplished uh, basketball players and coaches that we've had on the podcast so far. So we'll see you guys back in a little bit. This is the best damn podcast in the land. This is the best damn podcast in the land. I'm your host, Brandon Morris, and we're coming back into our second segment. We got a lot of Hall of Fame women's basketball players, by far our most accomplished uh, starters of the podcast since we started way back when, a long time ago in March, when the Safer at Home order was put in place. Um, again, we started this podcast just doing something to, to keep that basketball spirit going. Got the state tournament take, taken away. Got the NCAA tournament taken away. So we said, hey, let's let's jump on a podcast and, and talk basketball. And then eventually it just branched out to inviting some, some uh, basketball coaches, some ex-basketball players. And Nicole Drummond, uh, now Shoshosha came in and said, hey, let's get some women's basketball players in here. And um, here we are. So this is our first women's basketball episode and by far the most accomplished players we had on the podcast. So let's get right into the second segment. And everybody, for just if you're just now tuning in, uh, let's welcome Crystal Ellis, now the second all-time leading scorer at Marquette, some young lady in the 2018-2019 season, uh, just passed up her all-time leading scoring uh, that was going on for some 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 years. I'm not going to throw her uh, Crystal's age out there, but she's <laughs> holding that record for some years. Um, so right away, we're going to start with Crystal. How does being an athlete make you a better person? You know, I think just being with a group of people, you have teammates, you have to understand them, you have to learn how they are, uh, getting to know your coaches. I think with me, I can go back to my first job I got when I stopped playing basketball. They basically said they picked me because they knew I worked with the team. So I think that's one of the biggest things, just knowing that you are a teammate and, and that you know how to work well with others. So that made me a better person in general, just being around that atmosphere. Excellent. Uh, Liz, how does being an athlete make you a better person? Well, I think it teaches you a lot about uh, leadership. Um, it teaches you about time management. I think a lot of, as a employer now, I look for uh, um, athletes because they know how to manage their time. 
um, well. Mm, and good point. Um, it teaches you, like Crystal said, it teaches you how to work together with a different group of people. I mean, you think about all the people that you play with, and they're all walks of life, and you have to come together for a common goal. So it's, um, it teaches you a lot about teamwork. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Katie Young. I agree with Liz's sentiments. I think that um, as an employer now, I look at athletes because I know they know how to be punched in the mouth and then respond. Mm. What I mean by that is not literally punched in the mouth, but um, coming against and being resilient and having things not go their way and knowing how to fight and respond. And I think that athletes a lot uh, succeed in, um, in their employment afterwards because they learn discipline. They learn learn to touch every line. They learn that they've got to pick their teammates up. They learn that they have to practice every day, even when they're sick and they don't feel well. And, and most people are calling out because, the, you know what I mean, what's going on the next day, I don't know. All of us were student athletes, and I know we remember hearing people say, oh, yeah, I was so tired coming to class today. And we're all thinking, like, we just practiced for four hours, right? They don't understand that kind of um, commitment that it takes. So I think that that's why... Um, I'm a better person because of that commitment, because of that discipline. Um, without it, I don't know where I'd be. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, Jamie. How I think one of the biggest takeaways from um, my playing days in college was I was always taught being five minutes early means you're five minutes late. So. Um, or you're going to run kind of thing. And still to this day, when I'm running late, I feel like I'm going to get punished. I'm going to have to run. Mm. <laughs> so I'm never late. Like everywhere I go, I'm like 20 minutes early. So definitely being punctual, definitely time management. You know, as a student athlete, having to balance the being on the road, getting your schoolwork done, um, having 5 a.m. workouts and then going to class. Um, so time management, being punctual for sure. Collaboration, team, you know, play, being a team player, you know. I coach, or I'm sorry, I teach with um, John's girlfriend, Jamie Braden. She was also an athlete. I think the reason her and I work so well together is because we're both athletes. We know how to give and take. We know how to win one, lose one kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm just more successful because I understand that whole piece of um, being able to give and take, you know. I think yeah. as an athlete, you lose some, you win some. Um, so, yeah, collaborating, working as a team, being punctual, all those things, so important. Uh, Nicole. Um, I would agree with everything everybody has said in terms of, you know, the collaboration, being able to work with other people, being able to push yourselves. Um, I mean, I think as an athlete, you learn to push yourself beyond limits that you knew that you never knew you had. Um, and I even think that falls into the workplace, like being able to take that. I'm a social worker. So being able to take that one more parent being pissed off at you and yelling at you because they feel you didn't do your job, but, you know, being able to work with them to be able to find a common, common ground. Um, our coach always said, what your mind believes your body can achieve. And I always thought that was BS until I got <laughs> out of, I got out of um, playing basketball um, and just being able to keep that 
you know, that saying in my head to be able to, you know, take it to the next level in anything and everything that I Excellent. Uh, Jenny. I would say, you know, being part of a team um, successfully is parallel to, you know, learning how to be selfless. Um, not thinking so much just about yourself, but around about the people around you and how it's going to affect the people around you. Um, and I think that that's so important in, in your everyday life, whether it be, you know, in a, in a completely different profession than athletics, um, but just your everyday life about being a good person and um, being selfless and thinking about others um, is so, so important. And it's made me a much uh, better person uh, being part of athletics and, and taking that away from being part of a team and, um, and really thinking about others and, and other people around you um, instead of just yourself. Uh, Chandra. Um, gosh, I, the list of, of what people already said, it, it, I would agree with everything. I think it transcends in multiple areas, personal, professional, and my, you know, just being a better mom. Uh, multitasking. I have three little kids who are constantly running in different directions. Um, you know, and I'm also preparing myself to be in a leadership role. Um, I just will be licensed to be a principal in Wisconsin, so um, sports is going to tr- transcend into me hopefully being a, a good principal someday in, in a school. Um, I'll have interviews here coming up, and I always think to myself, I don't know if anybody else does this, if I get nervous about something or I think something is hard, I always think, not as hard as our conditioning practice when I was back in college and running sprints for three straight hours. This, you know, I'm going to knock this interview out of the park because I've already the stuff I've already done in the past was some of the hardest stuff I've ever had to do in my life. I, I mean, training camp is no joke. Two a days were crazy. So I always think to myself, I kind of play these mind games with myself that when I go into an interview or something that's a little difficult, I think this isn't this is nothing. I've already been through tough stuff, so I'm going to kill it. Excellent. Uh, we got one of our Facebook Live uh, listeners. They want to know, uh, and this goes for any of the Hall of Famers, um, we talk about the new normal. Is there a new normal for women's basketball or for the women's game? That's Don Allen Sellers who's checking in. He wants to know if they're a new normal for the women's game. Anybody want to tackle that one? I think uh, just from the standpoint of not just being a basketball player but being a referee, I think they want the women's game to be faster. Hmm. It's more of offense more than the defense now. So that's why they've changed so many rules. That's why this, I think the shot clock might change. I think... Uh, the points of emphasis of where they bring the ball in, how they bring it at, at four points like they do in the NBA, I think those are all emphasis on changing the game of basketball just for women, just to make it faster, make the fans more excited about it. But I think that's the biggest thing. Interesting. Okay. Uh, next question. What are the intricate details that basketball fans don't get to see? So... Uh, for those of you guys that tuned in to um, The Last Dance, uh, they show some intricate details when it comes to practice or games. What is some of those things 
um, that you guys can explain to our listeners uh, that you guys experienced as players at the Division One level, and then those of you guys that coached. Um, intricate details that basketball fans don't get to see or hear. Uh, Nicole, we're going to start with you. I don't, I think a lot of times you miss out, or fans would miss out on seeing the camaraderie of the team. I mean, we'll be on pre- in practice and be yelling at each other to work harder and get into fights because we lost a, um, you know, a game in practice. But then right after that, we're still all getting together and talking about, you know, how hard practice was and, you know, still being friends and everything like that. But, I mean, they don't get to see that all the stuff in the background, what it took for us to get to that point of success or what it took for us to get to, you know, that point of all just being able to work together. Excellent. Uh, Liz. And Liz, correct me if I'm wrong, you coached at uh, UW-Green Bay? Yeah, I actually coached Chandra. Wow. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. Um, probably the biggest thing is just, uh, you know, as we saw in the last dance, is the different personalities of the players. I mean, you saw in the last dance the personality of Dennis Rodman at its finest. Um, you also saw, you know, Scottie Pippen and his struggles that he had so I think the just the dynamics of the different personalities of a team when you just go to a a game you don't get to see that part of it and the other part is just as the number of hours that the players put in um, whether it be in the weight room whether it be um, film game film whether it be in the rehab room um, it's just there's there's a lot of hours that the players put in that people just don't realize Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, Katie Young. Intricate details that the fans don't get to see. Big East Conference. I think it's really, I mean, piggybacking off what Liz says, I think it's about the stuff that goes kind of unnoticed. And I didn't realize until I started, um, and she, until Coach said it, that she coached one of the players. Actually, one of my coaches is on the podcast, and I remember vividly being like screamed out at halftime and then you go out and play right or um you failed a test that day but you go out and score 20 points or i think really what it is is that people um fail to realize the humane aspect of it that these are 19 20 year old kids that are still living their life and going through things and whatever it is um turmoil triumph and then having to perform and entertain you, right? And then when you go on to the professional level, it's even more so. No one cares if LeBron kids has, I don't know, COVID. They wouldn't care. They're, they want him to perform, right? When yeah. It comes that time. So it's just one of those things that I think that most people negate the fact that we're human. And then the second part is one of the coaches hit the nail on the head is the part the work we put in. Everybody likes the glamour and hitting the three at halftime and kind of doing the shimmy and the cool highlight. But how many times have you practiced that shot? Right. When it wasn't glamorous, when the lights weren't on. Can you add to that, Katie? You are a professional basketball player played overseas. What would be uh, a, a, a detail that no one gets to see? Because obviously we don't get to see all of those games. 
what's something that's just intricate that a fan would love to hear? Love to hear is that it's not, I don't know what they'd love to hear, but it's that it's not glamorous. Um, mm. I think we've all made references to the last dance because as of late, that's been our grasp of sports, right? Every sports head is like, we need something. Uh, practicing every day, twice a day is not glamorous. Running sprints is not glamorous. Um, being huge with your teammates is not glamorous. Um, being traveling, being away from your family is not glamorous. And I think that um, what people kind of forget or either negate or don't care about is the fact that um, these, the, the percentage of being in the NBA, what is it, like 0.01% or something like that? These people are special, right? Um, every woman speaking on this podcast is very special. Right, as we just kind of come together and kind of share our stories and things of that nature. But there's, I don't know how many girls I've played basketball against and just killed them and then never seen them again. And they, whatever, they're working in there, whatever they are. But these people are special. And what makes them special is the behind the scenes, the work, the blood, sweat, and the tears, the giving up, the trying again, the injuries, and all that type of stuff. I think that's what fans probably might not love to hear, but need to hear. Mm, thanks. Jamie. Same, same, same. I mean, like like Katie said, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, the 30 suicides in 30 minutes, the... Jeez. I remember. <laughs> the putting the garbage can in the corner and people puking as you're still running and people trying to motivate that slowest person to keep going because she doesn't get to that one minute mark on the suicide we all have to do it again you know try to push people and you know also the sacrifice when you're a college athlete you you do you feel like you kind of are sacrificing a lot you're missing out a lot on um on a lot of that that college scene you know you have to be super focused you're not partying with your friends when it's season you're watching people do things you don't really get to do you, um, you know, you don't get to go home for the holidays. You don't get to go home for the summer. Um, you're sleeping in random hotels all the time. So it's it's a lot of sacrifice, too. I mean, yeah, we were given a lot. I got a free education. No, I would never, um, I would never make a different choice. But it, it is. It's a lot of, it's a lot of behind the scenes things that people don't realize. Uh, Jenny, and who else did we not get in? Crystal, did we get you, Chandra? Okay. Let's go, Jenny, then Crystal, then uh, Chandra. Um, you know, just kind of piggybacking on everybody else. I mean, the sacrifices, you know, that these athletes make. I mean, I, I feel like I'm so far away from having played, so I look at everything as, you know, kind of on the coaching side of things. Um, and I know Corey coaches Division Three, and, and I coach Division Two. I mean, everyone sees – you know, the bells and whistles, and, and obviously all of us women, you know, played at the Division one, one level, but um, at every level, the sacrifices that these, you know, kids are making. I mean, I know when we uh, were at Parkside, we would get on the bus, you know, the day before a game, 10-hour bus trip, you know, weekly. I mean, for us, because we were the only school in the state of Wisconsin um, in our conference. We were headed down south, and, and these kids were, you know, on the bus for 10 hours, having to get off the bus, spend a night at a, you know, okay hotel and um get back and do the grind you know get in a gym do a shoot you know shoot around 
get some studying in, um, get some film in, you know, all those kind of things that just people don't see. Um, you know, again, whether it be the Division One level, Division Three level, all these kids are, are grinding it out and, and making so many sacrifices, um, working so hard on not just the athletic side of things. I mean, that, that's a big piece, but like Katie said, I mean, majority of these, majority of us aren't, aren't playing professionally, aren't going to make a career out of it, and um, they're making all these sacrifices while they're, you know, studying to be doctors or uh, physical therapists. I mean, I had a lot of my student athletes at Parkside who, you know, they're very smart girls, and, and they were, they wanted a master's or, or get into PT or, or be physicians or nurses, um, and, and they had to do that while, while playing basketball and, and traveling and, and putting all that time in that, that we all did, you know, even at the Division One level. Um, I, I thought I got great perspective, you know, coaching at the Division Two level after being, you know, uh, a Division One athlete. And, and all these kids, no matter what level, they're putting the time in. They are making so many sacrifices uh, that people just do not see. Um, and they're not doing it for the glory or, or you know, to be on TV and, and those kind of things. Um, they're doing it because they, they love the sport and they know it's going to, you know, get them somewhere and, and take them a long way, um, whether it be basketball or you know, in their profession down the road. Uh, Crystal. You know, I think the biggest, the first start is the sacrifice you make leaving home at 18. Like, people don't understand you're 18, you're, you're still a child, and you leave home, you go, you meet people, you, you have coaches who you don't know, really. They recruited you, they were like, I want you to come here, I want you to do this, but you don't really know what's going to happen until you get there. And then when you get there, the fans don't get to see the sacrifice stuff. Hey, I woke up at 5 a.m. every day. By six, I had to work out for an hour. Then I had to go shower. I had to get dressed and go to class from eight to 12. Then I had to figure out a time where should I get lunch at so I can make it to practice by one o'clock. Then we got practice till four. And then, hey, I think I'm done, but nope, I have to go eat again. And then I have to study off. People don't get to see that aspect of it. They only get to see the glamour. Oh, I made the threes. I, I passed the ball. I, I was laughing. I was enjoying my teammates, but they don't get to see the struggle parts of it. But what they also don't get to see is the fact that majority of your teammates are like your sisters. You guys cried together. You bled together. You grew together from the ages of 18 21. And it, it's like one of the best experiences also. And we got a lot. We all had full scholarships. It was a great thing. It was also very hard. And it was a struggle at times. It messed with your mental state of mind. But it also made you grow. I think being a Division One athlete made me grow as a person. And it made me a stronger person. It made me be able to deal with things excellent Chandra to piggyback I agree with again what everybody said the hard work the repetition um, the repetition of the drills I think that um, I guess as a post player if I even hear the word make and drill and like shudder because I did that every single day and I mean we did it over and over and over and, and but that I was a back to back
we, we had each other and that was it. I mean, and, and as an 18-year-old freshman, you're missing your family and campus was like ghost town, but you had to be there for practice and no one else was there. So just adding to what everybody else has already said. Anybody else? Did I leave out anybody? No? Okay. Um, last question of this second segment before we get a, a, some trivia questions in and maybe some extra questions by the bench players. Um, reference to the last dance. Uh, so many of us tuned in to the last dance. Um, all over the state, all over the country, all over the world. What was some of your lasting memories uh, from the last dance that you thought were most and or least impressive uh, or impressed with? Um, most or least impressed with uh, from the last dance? Uh, Chandra, we're going to start with you. Jamie. I would say, you know, thinking about just the last question we talked about, those intricate details. I mean, I grew up watching Michael Jordan, but watching this was kind of like being able to see some of those intricate details of what went on to what went on you know, for him to be so amazing. I mean, his mental capacity was just beyond human. Um, just the way that somebody could you know, basically talk shit about him and that would just motivate him to just kill, <laughs> you know? Um, so I just, you know, just his mental capacity was impressive. You know, least impressive, I guess, towards the end, how they were showing how he could treat teammates sometimes, you know? Um, lack of leadership a little bit. You know, he thought that everybody could, could be on his level and I don't think that was possible. Um, and I don't think maybe he went around and he went about it the right way, trying to get people to his level, but just that was the takeaway. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Jenny. Yeah, looking at this question beforehand, I mean, my first thing, you know, right away was, was Phil Jackson, just how amazing he was and how he was able to, you know, reach every single one of his athletes and, and them all being so different and him still being able to maintain really strong relationships um, with all his athletes. Uh, those of, you know, all of us have coached probably, I'm sure, even even if you haven't, um, you know how important, you know, that relationship with your coach is in order to be successful. If you don't have a good relationship with your coach or if he doesn't have good rapport with his athletes, then you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be able to win. Um and you see that, you know, every day because you see all sorts of teams that have, you know, great talent who, who can't win. 
um, and, and his ability to, to reach each and every athlete in different ways um, really impre- impressed me tremendously. I would say, you know, the thing that least, you know, impressed me or, um, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize, you know, I was in high school um, going into college when, you know, Jordan, when, when this fall was going on, the last dance, 97, 98, and um, the management, you know, was, I didn't realize, I guess, back then when I was younger, a teenager, you know, just how behind the scenes the management was was really kind of falling apart or, you know, not really good communication and things, and, and, and there's a lot of kind of negative, you know, kind of behind the scenes that these, these athletes kind of had to deal with amongst all the pressure of being an NBA player and, and all those kind of things. Uh, excellent. <clears throat> Katie. Uh, most impressed uh, by, uh, I would say, by Michael Jordan's resiliency. I think that uh, I was most moved by, um, I think it was the fourth NBA championship when his father passed away. Um, that, to me, is something that resonates um, and least impressed by um the bulls <laughs> when he left i thought they were still going to be good but i mean again and i say this being such a youngster had never seen i mean when they won their fifth nba championship i, I was born in 93 so i was five so i don't really remember i wasn't included however you know that michael jordan's the greatest of all time but just seeing how they kind of lost um and seeing mj come back um wearing 45 and losing to but then the magic with Horace Grant, I was kind of unimpressed by that. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that didn't happen. So, yeah. Um, but again, they had a, a big guy in the middle named Shaq. So that kind of, I guess. <laughs> However, that was kind of my um, MJ's resiliency, you know what I mean? Being able to uh, win and put aside his feelings and then cry afterward. Um, and then least impressed by losing to the magic, who then lost to the Rockets, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's old. You, I mean, the old time. You know, <laughs> yeah, I remember that, right? I was, I was, you guys I was a Rockets fan, so I remember that vividly. <laughs> <laughs> right, you guys were like, I was 15. No, I'm kidding, but yeah, so I'm like, I didn't know. I literally did not know, fun fact, until I watched The Last Dance, who won those two championships when MJ left. Like, I know he went to play baseball, but I didn't know who won. So shout out to Hakeem, the dream, and... um. Kenny Smith, who's my favorite on TNT. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Liz. Hi. Okay. Um, first feeling when I when you asked this question was how how in the world and I guess I didn't realize it back in the day how in the world do you break up a team that has just won three championships has the best player has the best coach, how, how do you break that up? Mm. And I realize it. Um, I think somebody else said that earlier. They didn't realize it back back then, the whole management part of it. And so I think that was my least impressed moment is seeing all that. Um, seeing him try baseball, I think, was probably my most impressed. Like training to be a baseball player and then coming back and training to be a basketball player again. Is probably that's pretty impressive. Yeah. People think Bo Jackson was the only other one, right? That has done that. Bo Jackson and um, Deion Sanders, yeah. 
<sighs> Excellent. Uh, Nicole. Um, for me, I would say watching the role players on the team um, and getting, being able to see a little bit behind the scenes with them. And for the most part, I feel like they all accepted their role, but then also being able to see Jordan and how he pushed them to, you know, be able to fulfill their role to their fullest potential. Um, so for me, yeah, the, I think the, least, the most impressive was watching the role players and how they all fulfilled their roles. Um, the least impressive? I don't know. I liked it all. I don't know if I was unimpressed with anything. <laughs> nice. I think it's just, I mean, it takes a lot of talent to be able, it takes a lot of teamwork and a collaboration to be able to build a team that good and have that much success for that amount of time. Crystal. Say my least uh, favorite thing about the show was Scotty Pimpin's contract. That was heartbreaking to see. Uh, yeah. It was, it was very heartbreaking to see. Uh, you can't say you don't understand why he set out. You have to understand what he was going through. You're top five players in the league, and you're getting paid like you are, like you're nothing, like you're replaceable, and you really aren't. So I. I got his frustration. I understood Jordan's point, too, but I understood Scotty's more. A part of my most impressive thing is Jordan, from when he left North Carolina and just became, like, he went straight to just basketball. Everybody was partying and doing all this. He was in his room, relaxing. He didn't want to join in any, any of that. And at that age, you would expect him to just go crazy and party and do everything else that he he was, he was very mature, and you don't expect that at all. Now, I really like that. Of course, his tenacity as a player. He had a different style of leadership, but they understood it, and they respected him, and that was the most important thing. Yep. They didn't, I don't think they had a choice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody else? Did I leave out anybody? Fellas, you guys want to chime in? Corey, go ahead. sending his best player to go get him. Was that, were you most impressed with that or least impressed with that? I just got to be most impressive because there's no way <laughs> that I could ever allow that to happen for any one of my players. Um, that, that that just still blows my mind to this day. I don't know if that will ever change. I mean, all the other things everybody said, that's up there. Um, but I, I still, that story just blows me away. Um, my least impressed was actually how um, Jordan would throw some of his teammates under the bus a little bit. Um, I think that's one of those lifelong spoken things that you don't do on camera, maybe off camera, but uh, on camera you don't do that. But um, overall, probably least impressed with that. I wish we would have got to see the Wizards time. I wish we would have got to see the ownership time of Jordan. Um, but uh, the, the Dennis Rodman 48 hours in Vegas – just to get away, and then him going to the WCW, taking a private charter jet. I, I just, Phil Jackson blows my mind for what he's dealt with as a coach. I, I just, I, I don't know if anybody could rival any of his stories. Mm. <laughs> Fellas, anybody else want to chime in? Mike, Greg? So, I think everybody has pretty much touched on it. Um, the Phil Jackson thing is mind-blowing to me. 
Um, and even there's no way even to fathom what he did in those kind of drama queens in their own rights of people and their personalities and trying to to bring that together and show a finished product, right? That I mean, you can only cover up your players' flaws so much, but like if you think about the Dennis Rodman thing, imagine how much pressure Phil Jackson was going under from those around him. Mm. Like, dude, we trying to win championships and you got this dude on here fighting, like what's going on? Or we're trying to win championships, you can't get a hold of this guy. Like, come on, man, let us know something. You know what I mean? Like, just think, think about it as a player. Each of us as a player thinking about, like, hey, one of our key guys is missing. <laughs> not only is he missing, you can't get a hold of him. Not only can you not get a hold of him, he on TV. You know what I mean? Like, just think about, like, mentally, like, so many people coming to you, adding that pressure to it. Be like, listen, we're going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like, trying to let everybody, like, like just walk in the room. It just, like, we're going to be all right. Like, I got it. Um, but then the, the the least impressive thing to me, if there was one, um, I want to hear some more, like, X's and O's and time. I want to hear some of those timeouts. Um, I want to know what was going on in those timeouts. I know those others weren't, Phil, you got it. We just going to shut up and listen. Mm. I know there had to be some beef, some tension. I want to hear a little bit of that. Anybody else? Okay. Johnny. You got a trivia question for us? I for got a few. Yeah, for the bench. Give us a, give, give us a couple of trivia questions for the bench. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, for our listeners, uh, we got Marquette players on the on the podcast tonight. We got UW Green Bay, UWM, Youngstown, um, and this guy decides to wear a Wisconsin Badgers t-shirt. I mean, just total. Anyways, John, give us the trivia questions. I mean, if you Horizon League alums can show me some gear, I'd be more than happy to accept it. But Sounds good. Noted. All right. <laughs> Let's start with uh, Jenny. I got one with her. So, uh, in, all right, so 2010-2011 UW Parkside team set a school record for 24 wins. They went 15 and 0 at home, and they made it to the NCAA Sweet 16 that year. However, she has two international titles. Coaching what team? The bench players will not know this. That's another hundred dollars. Come on, Corey's using Google right now. I just want to call him out for everybody. Got his phone in his lap using Google. <laughs> Say that, say that one more time, a little louder, John. All right, so I touched base on the 2010-2011 Parkside team. Um, but uh, Coach Jenny has coached two international titles. All right, Greg, what is slow? I got it. I mean, come on, it took you that time, all that time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> small fry, guys. Yeah, Kenosha Small Fry. Kenosha Small Fry. 2017 and 18, Jenny? Uh, 17 and 19, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah 17 and 19. There was one year in between, yeah. Okay. So Liz and, and, and Chandra, you guys are way up north. Yeah, I'm just trying to plug this in. Where are you Down here in Kenosha, we have Small Fry, where kids that are five foot one and under, they play on eight and a half foot hoops. And it's some serious competition. Some of the best games you'll see for kids that are five foot one and under. Although I will say Puerto Rico, 
Sometimes it looks like they have kids that are taller than 5'1". Just going to throw that out there. Uh, but it's a really good competition. Teams from uh, Illinois, teams from uh, New Jersey, uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, it's a really, really good competition for kids that are 5'1 and under playing on an eight-and-a-half-foot hoop. Really fun. Uh, so those are two international championships that uh, Coach Kennedy has. Go ahead, John. These guys don't know it. We're co we're collecting a lot of money. I got it. So it it was a buzzer beater um, on the right wing. Am I right? And it was the number two play. Number one play just past half court on the left side. They beat. I was gonna say just past half. Yeah. yeah. And then the other one. This is this is pretty pertinent to uh to our group that we have here tonight. Um, during her time at Marquette, one of Katie Young's assistant coaches was the son of which women's basketball coaching icon? Pat Summit. Summit. Yep, Tyler Summit was on the staff at Marquette for a couple of years. Now you notice the Hall of Famers answered that question. The starters answered that question. The bench wasn't yep. going to get it anyways. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just want to throw that out. I'm going to dive in a little deep on these questions. Here. Give us a couple more, John. Blocks. Rebounds. Blocks. Points. Blocks. Rebounds. Points. Assists. Uh, nope, not on there. Field goal percentage. Not on there. Steals. Not on there. Some of these other ones are kind of they're kind of funny because I know Jamie's personality a little bit when we go out. She kind of. Free throw percentage. Free throws made. She was up there. Free throws made. She was up there. So here's what I got on my list here. He's a leading scorer, leading rebounder, leading blocks, minutes played. Sorry, Jamie, but you're also the leader in turnovers that year. <laughs> uh, but but here's here's the personality part where she gives me a little ribbing for drinking Miller Lights when we go out and not real beer. But she's also the team leader in personal fouls and foul outs in the game. <laughs> nice. All right, go ahead. Give us a couple more, John. We got a little bit of time. Team All Big East twice, four times on the All, All Big East. 
She is the only Marquette women's basketball player in history to record over 1,800 points, 350 assists, and 200 steals. Damn. And the question I have, it's going to be difficult, I know, because it's more of just an informational thing, but so in 2008, I'm not going to say preseason or postseason, but the Marquette women's team won a tournament. She scored 40 points in the quarterfinal versus Kentucky, and she had a double-double in the championship game against Michigan State. What tournament was that? NIT. It was a women's NIT. Yep, Marquette won that. And she got the WNIT player of the tournament. Damn, 40 points? D. Crystal Ellis. You got to say that when you say her name. That's how she likes to be introduced. <laughs> I do not. Keep, <laughs> keep going, John. Just a couple more things I have. Um, I did, let's see. I did forget to mention about Jenny that they were, they made five NCAA tournament appearances while she was there. Two conference championships. Uh, here's a Nicole question. Corey, I'm going to ask you specifically. I'm going to go back on what I said in the text chat earlier this week. I said you were removed from a Nicole question. This question is for you, Corey. See how well you've been listening over the years. All right. So I did mention that she was first team all. Yep. That's a sponsorship. Yeah. Corey, you, you out. My dog hit the news button. All right, here we go. First team all-conference twice, Horizon League, all-newcomer team. But in high school, we talked about multi-sport athletes. Nicole, formerly known as Drummond, was named the Conference Offensive Player of the Year in which sport in 2001-2002 at Trumper? Volleyball. Volleyball. Okay, you're come good. On, come on, Johnny. That was That's easy. easy. Piece of cake, John. Nor I got that from, though. That was from the uh, press release in WM when they had their new signings coming in that year. That was Nicole's profile. That was true. Well, last one. Last one. Let's find something. Oh boy. And here I am thinking I took a lot of notes. I I I got one. Um, Chandra. This is uh, UW Green Bay, best school in the country by far. Uh, from all of our listeners, you guys looking for a school, UW-Green Bay, best school in the country. Um, who was the number one team in the country Chandra's senior year? Best team in the country, number one team in the country Chandra's senior year. What was her senior year? What year was your senior year, Chandra? 2003. 2003. Tennessee? Uh, yeah, so yeah, we're coming to you um, live. Um, anyways, that's the end of that segment two, uh, and we're going to close it out, coming right back, literally 60 seconds or less, with some closing remarks from the starters. Um, we'll see you soon. That's my bedtime. This is the best damn podcast in the land. We're in our closing segment. It's past Crystal Ellis's. Bedtime Hall of Famer, uh, Marquette University, as you guys just heard her saying, it's past her bedtime. 
So we're gonna we're gonna start the closing segment with our youngest uh, ex player at Marquette, as well as uh, professional women's basketball player overseas, Katie Young. Closing remarks. What do you got for us? Um. First and foremost, that I'm honored to be on this podcast with ladies that are not only from around my area but have so much expertise in our in our realm. I think that not only is women's basketball put placed secondary, but people don't realize the hard work and the ethic that's put into it. So to be completely frank, without the women that did it before me, I probably wouldn't have been recognized or even been established at Marquette if uh, those ladies hadn't, hadn't come from my area and been successful. Um, and any advice that I have for ladies that are coming up after <laughs> us is to um work really hard hard work works there's no it's not like a cute cliche thing that i have to say um any phenomenal basketball player that i know is a hard worker um, we look at the uh, legendary kobe bryant rest in peace we watched the last dance michael jordan he, these guys worked really hard and it's not cute it's not glamorous it's not fabulous but we remember their names so get in the gym lock in um and work hard. Hard work works. Excellent. Thank you for that, Katie. All right. Crystal uh, Ellis, thank Marquette. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for having me. Uh, for the bench, guys, thank you for being here also. Uh, the guru, I like that trivia part. That was really cool. And to the ladies, uh, thank you, guys. You know, I've heard of some of you are principals, social workers, coaches. You could have been doing anything else, but you just decided to give back to your community, which I think is the most important thing you can do is to continue to build up your community. It's very important to me. Uh, for me personally, to tell people, work hard. Do your best at whatever you want to do, and at any point, just make sure you're happy. Make, make sure your mental state is the best state it can be. Uh, and that's pretty much all I have for you guys. Thanks for that, Crystal. Excellent. Nicole, you got this. Who, who Who's next? Sorry, I thought you were going to, like, call us out. Um, <laughs> um, no, just I thank you, too, for having us all on here. I think it's awesome having, you know, some of the best female athletes. I've had an opportunity to play with some of you guys. I've had an opportunity to see some of you guys and um, had the uh, ladies, sorry, um, had the opportunity to coach against some of you as well. Um so I think this is just really great to have us all on here all at the same time. Um, but my my advice would be the same thing as um, Katie and Crystal, hard work. Hard work is going to ultimately pay off in the end. Um, I mean, you can control how much work, how much effort that you put into your, your craft, your own game. Um, so hard work is always going to pay off in the end. Excellent. Thank you for that. Jay Haynes. Obviously hard work, but, you know, I think another piece of that is staying mentally focused as a young athlete. I think even more so now, there's so many more distractions, I think, than when we were student athletes with social media and with everything going on in this world. So, you know, stay in your lane, stay focused, and, um, you know, great things will happen for you. And yeah, thank you everybody for putting this on and for getting everybody together. I've played with some of you, coached some of you, known some of you for a long time, so it's been fun. 
Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that, Jay. Chandra. I guess advice that I would have is um, for, for young upcoming players is never let somebody tell you you can't do something. Um, just, I think, especially in the game of basketball, um, athletes, I mean, I, I got better in college. So, you know, I, was, I worked harder in college, and there were people in high school that had told me, you're not good enough to play Division One. I. I mean, I had people tell me that. So... If I could tell any girl or any boy up and coming, don't let anybody tell you what you can't do and keep working hard. So thanks for letting me come on, and it's been fun to meet some of you, and I've heard some of your names but haven't actually talked to you, so thanks for having me on. Excellent. Thanks for that. Liz. Um, probably the biggest advice that I would give to young ladies, obviously I coach um, – young girls now, so I give them a lot of advice. And probably the biggest thing is to, con is to control your controllables, control your attitude, control your effort, control your coachability. Those are three, those are three things we talk about a lot. Um, and also don't take things for granted. As we've seen the last three months, you know, we've gotten basketball taken away from us. Mm. So um, don't take things for granted. Enjoy every practice you have. Enjoy every game that you have. The opportunity to be able to play is a privilege. So um, don't take it for granted. And thanks, yeah, for having us, Brandon. I appreciate it. Um, of course. Being one of the oldies in the group. Um, <laughs> it's kind of cool listening to the, the stories of everybody else. So thank you. I appreciate it. You're big time. You got on before your husband, so. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> thanks for that. doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Uh, Coach K. Yeah, just thank you for having me. Really appreciate you know including. Um, it's been pretty kind of neat just hearing everybody's stories, um, especially the the locals. I either watched them you know as I was a coach or um, was right in front of Jamie and and Nicole, um, and then even hearing the stories of, of the other two that I that I didn't know. Um, really learn a lot and and it's been neat and, and a good experience um but i guess as far as what i would you know say for others or young athletes whether boys or girls just like everybody said work hard um make sure you're doing it for yourself you know that it's your passion and something that you want to do um it's something that you enjoy um be coachable and, and be a good teammate i think that goes a long way um your leadership and being a good teammate um, will go a long way in, in order for you to have success on, on any team. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, from the bench, let's close us out from the bench. Uh, we'll go with Johnny Ack, Michael, Corey, and then Greg. So I think it's probably about the fourth time now within these series of podcasts where I talk about how valuable it is for myself and just listen to people talk. So first of all, Greg, I apologize for cutting in on you earlier with Paul Westhead. But like Brandon said, no joke, this is definitely the most accomplished group we've had on here. The accolades are unbelievable. Doing my research today and yesterday was oodles of stats and accomplishments and accolades and everything like that. So I was very honored to listen to you ladies talk tonight and tell your stories and share your experiences and your philosophies and everything. And uh, thank you, Brandon, again. 
for having me on. And uh, just everybody stay safe and stay positive. Thanks, John. Mike. Um, so to the ladies, thank you all for joining on. Uh, it truly means a lot to us. Um, you guys, have, as all of us have said, and we text about it, um, and you all are really the greatest group that we've had, so thank you. Uh, to anybody listening, um, whether that be young players or current high school players, don't stop at no. At some point, all of us on this podcast have heard a no. Um, and no, if you're an athlete and if you're a winner or competitor, no can't mean you're done. You have to find a way to push through the no. So being, um, making sure you're mentally focused, your body's focused, but making sure you press through the no. Thank you for that, Michael. Coach Shoshoshi. Mine is, uh, first off, thank you, Brandon, as always. I'm enjoying this. Um, talk about a great time to, to start something fun and, and insightful. Uh, with kids today, I, I, I encourage them to dream big. You know, no matter what, you know, the one thing that all of us have in common, we were, we were in a driveway shooting. We were shooting the last shot, envisioning that we're Jordan or, or you know, one of the one of the ladies that I thought was unbelievable as a player was Shanika Holspaw. Uh, you know, those, those type of dreams spur on that, that work, right? We, we're working hard to try to be that. And for me, as seeing these young players, never never give up on your dreams. If it's something you really want to do, chase it down, run it down, whatever it, whatever that dream is, and, and work it as hard as you can at it. Um, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And, you know, understand what your limitations are. That's part of us as coaches, we have to voice that sometimes to our players, but you have to you have to dream big. You always have to dream big. And then the other part is understand basketball ends someday. It always ends for all of us. And someday we can't play anymore. So we have to be able to be a server in our community. We have to do things for people around us. We have to be leaders in our community. And we have to we have to understand that too. So we have to become well rounded people. So my advice to young people, work hard, stay in school, never, and, and dream as big as you possibly can dream. Excellent. Thank you for that. Greg, close us out. Uh, it was fun just sitting and listening to everybody. Uh, the answers were great. And I learned that women are more or better thought out than men. Uh, you get your answers were great. We get on here and we think we know what we're talking about. We ramble and we go on and on. You guys were precise and right on the point all night long. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, uh, thank you to all of you, Hall of Famers, great players. Uh, some or, or most of you guys are coaching. Uh, so thank you for coming on. Um, I would like to say that uh, to, to the young players, make sure you reach out to uh, players that have been there, players that have played at the next level. Uh, really reach out to them and, and see what it takes and then be able to take the constructive criticism uh, from those players that have already been there um, and then apply that to your game. So listen, take that constructive criticism and then apply it to your game. Um, so this 
is the the closing remarks from uh, some very excellent basketball players and coaches. Um, we're signing out. Best damn podcast in the land. You can be more.